0: Hi, welcome to the Wellness Doctors Podcast with Dr. Lorena and Dr. Vanessa. We are both medical doctors who talk about how to optimize health and well-being so that you can be empowered to make better healthy choices, enrich the lives of people around you and join us in the evolution of healthcare. Hi everyone. Hello. Hi Vanessa. Hi. Um, Hi It's great have. that... To- (laughs) it's great that we uh, are finally made it together we made it yes it's been a while because we've both been very busy separately doing different things so we're very happy uh, to be able to bring this podcast uh, together with uh, to the audience and today we actually have a very special guest with us his name is Simon Matthews and he is a psychologist but also the CEO of Well Coaches Australia. And as you know, last week we had a podcast with one of our health coaches and she shared her experience with us uh, as to how she helped uh, work in a clinic setting and made some changes with behaviours and health habits for our patients. So I wanted to invite Simon onto our podcast because he is involved in training health coaches. Um, So welcome, Simon.
1: Thank you, Lorena. Hello, Vanessa. Welcome. Hi. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Very, uh, very honored uh, for your presence and for being able to uh, podcast and share your knowledge with us because um, I met Simon actually probably over a year ago through ASLAM, which is the Australasian mm. Society of Lifestyle Medicine. I actually heard a, a, a um, or a webinar that was um, introduced uh, through aslam for health coaching. And so I, I, I'm not sure who reached out to who, but uh, <laughs> I was very interested in learning more about health coaching and also perhaps for Simon to uh, arrange for a course to be conducted here in Hong Kong. Mm. And uh, since then, I think some part of that is in process. So today we wanted to... Talk to you and discover a little bit more about how do how do we become health coaches and and what is the evolution of health coaches and why do we need them now?
1: mm mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're are uh, uh, great questions, Lorena. So you um where where should I start? What's the uh...
2: <laughs> well? I think we we can start with what is a health coach because a lot of people may not have a concept of where this fits into the, the usual practice of going to see a doctor mm-hmm. because you have a sickness and they don't understand maybe why a health coach is necessary.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's a great place to start. So there's, there's two ways, I think, that we can usefully think about uh, health coaches and health coaching. Well, one is to, um, to, to think of a health coach as, as a particular person with a dedicated role, and that is the, the role of Health coaching, and and we're certainly already seeing that. Um, we're seeing it in uh, medical practices. We're seeing it in healthcare practices. Certainly, if you look across the US, um, there's a fairly fairly widespread uh, use of health coaches, uh, already established and has been for has been for some years now. The other way to think about health coaching, though, is is to take. A medical or allied health professional of any sort, whether that's a GP, a physician, a psychologist, dietitian, exercise physiologist, it really doesn't matter. And to then equip that person with the additional skills of health coaching on on top of their specific content area. So that they can then engage patients and clients in those sorts of discussions, in other words, we don't we don't necessarily need to think about health coaches as a completely distinct role. we We can think about them as people who are already integrated into health and medical practices and have been trained um, in some specific health coaching skills to to support patients.
0: Okay. So, what is what what are the unique abilities that actually um, these allied health professionals or a health coach actually needs to engage um, the patient? Because that's quite important in terms of changing habits and behaviour, isn't it?
1: A- absolutely, it is. And look, for a long time. Uh, lorena i've i've been describing health coaching as the engine room of lifestyle medicine and in fact i think it's um, i mean it, lifestyle medicine is my particular um, area of interest and passion uh, regardless of whether you want to invoke lifestyle medicine or not i think i think health coaching is actually the engine room of uh, of all medical and health behavior change um, we i think we you know we we've uh, we're finally coming to realise that being content experts is not sufficient. Um, it, it, mm-hmm. it's not, pe- people aren't convic- uh, convinced by, by facts or by, by force or by fear, uh, as we like to say. Um, they, they're convinced by being able to recognise that uh, their, their, their own personal values come to life for them when they engage in particular behaviors so for, for many years our, our medical and health models have have relied on teaching people content expertise and I was the same, but you know I, I trained as a psychologist twenty five years ago, and yeah. at, at that time, you know, psychology training was about uh, learning about uh, learning about brain biochemistry and learning about uh, abnormal behavior and um, you know, various other things. Yeah as As if that knowledge would be sufficient then to uh, be able to support someone to make a change and and i think we're we're finally reaching that point where we're we're recognising that that uh, epidemics of chronic disease are not abating in the way that we had hoped and that we need to do something different and that and that's something different is really to fundamentally rethink the way that we deliver health and medical care, so stepping away from that idea that we 're simply content matter experts who who um, who share our expertise with our patients in the belief that once they understand uh, that particular information, they will simply go away and do it. Uh, because, because mm-hmm. why wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> um, <Yeah>. And, and <laughs> yes, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you? you? Yeah, and and, and we're realising now that we're missing that that um, that key piece um, that that supports people to uh, identify values, to create um, to to create a, a if you like a vision for themselves in which they can imagine or see themselves living a particular way in the future. So, when we talk about the skills of health coaching, we're really talking about the evidence based skills of skillful conversation. And by skillful conversation, I mean things like uh, skillful use of questioning, uh, skillful use of reflections, which demonstrate uh, um, listening in and understanding what a person is saying, Uh, skillful use of particular interventions like motivational interviewing, um, uh, skills like What's called appreciative inquiry, which is really a a, a way of uh, exploring. Um... Uh, something with a with a person that that's kind of an antidote to a problem solving conversation so you know we often we often get buried in problem solving conversations Uh, someone presents to us with a particular issue you know my blood pressure's high or or uh or i've got stiff joints or um you know something like that and we immediately try to problem solve that that one little aspect of it. Appreciative inquiry instead right. asks us to lift out of that um, that problem-solving approach and instead understand more about this person and, and their life and what matters to them and what's meaningful to them. And in doing that, we support someone to uncover um, to uncover values, to uncover beliefs, to uncover motivators, all the things that are going to sustain longer term. Behavioural change, and that's that's the key here. We we want to we want to support people not simply to um, to make a change in their behaviour between one consultation and the next, or make a change in their behaviour because uh, they're fearful of what happens if they don't, or make a change in their behaviour because they want to come back and be able to proudly say to their physician or health practitioner, "I did this." Um, we want them to make a, a behaviour change because it has meaning and value for them and because it's something that they want to hang on to into the long term.
0: Mm, That's actually really powerful because, like you said, when I first worked as a GP and I thought to myself, oh, you know, someone came in, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, okay, they need to lose weight. So my thing to do was, okay, what are you doing in terms of your diet and your food? Now, give them all this information and then they come back next month, and nothing has changed. So, <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> so that was immensely frustrating to me as a practitioner because I thought, well, what am I not saying, or what are they not doing? And so there's this ongoing tug of war that's going on between myself and and the patient. And, <laughs> mm, mm. and then and it's true. It's like I, and then you know, for fast forward 20 years from now, I realized in in that process um, that I had to learn some pretty uh pretty specific skills of what you mentioned before Mm. is not just preaching to the patient but actually finding out you know um have they tried different things or what do they think about this or asking them you know what's their emotional value to to that they attach to their health or do they even care uh, at it's, all. Exactly right. The
1: that, that, that's exactly mm. right, Lorena. And, and, and getting to the heart of, of what people really care about um, is, is really vital here because people aren't going to sustain a long-term behaviour change in anything, in any, uh, in any area of their life, if it doesn't mm. have personal meaning for them, if they, if they can't attach to that something that, that, mm. um, that really powerfully motivates them
2: since Simon you're a psychologist as well yeah. by training and I'm a psychiatrist I think we understand when we see people when you apply this the same theory is with to addiction right why is someone drinking mm-hmm. themselves to death why is mm-hmm. someone using drugs to the detriment of their mm-hmm. family their health their, you know their, their financial woes and it's because it still serves a purpose even though they don't know necessarily why they, what their purpose is. But usually people will say, okay, it's because I'm bored or I'm trying to deal with some emotions or I um, get frustrated and I, I use it so that it blocks out having to, to deal with things. Mm. So if mm. I say to my addiction patients, I say, well, if someone just stuck their hand onto a hot plate and it burnt off their flesh you know, and they keep doing it, you think that person was crazy right? But then you yeah. say, well, if you keep drinking and you're clearly doing damage and you still, still keep doing it, you mean, can you explain why someone would do same, something that seemingly is bad for them? And then they say, well, okay, I can understand why you don't want to burn your own hands, right? But when they apply to themselves, it helps them to kind of open up the conversation of what is this habit serving a purpose, you know and and so when you remove that habit people find that they don't have the tools or the skill set to deal with whatever it was that started them on this you know habit Mm. forming behavior so whether Mm. it's the boredom or you know whether it's, it's just frustration or a lot of negative emotions so then they usually go back to what they know used to work which is back to their old habits so if you want to create new habits you really need to get to the the core of why they do it in the first place and try and help them find new ways to cope with it. So they can still resolve the problem Hmm. without having to rely back on the old
3: habits.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, Vanessa. And, um, I guess one of the, one of the things that, um, one of the things, or one of the ways I conceptualise, anyway, um, people's actions is that uh, actions are informed by thoughts. Thoughts are informed by feelings. Feelings are informed by beliefs. Beliefs are informed by values. And so, so if we seek simply to uh, to change someone's actions, you know, if we if we if we say to them, uh, you know, ne- next week instead of instead of drinking. Uh, you know, um, 10 glasses of wine a night, try and drink five glasses of wine a night. On the surface, that sounds like a really good idea because we're we're, we're, um, making a dent in risk. Um, We're we're not removing the risk entirely, but we are modifying it, uh, helping the person to do that. But we're only dealing with that very superficial layer, which is the actions. We haven't dug into the feelings, we haven't dug into the thoughts, we haven't dug into the beliefs, or really importantly, what sits at the core of all of it, the person's own values, what really matters to them in their daily life. And and when we can do that, when we can take the time to uh, uh, support someone to to uncover and articulate those things for themselves, then they have for them the capacity to start making uh, some sustainable behavior changes can, can I jump back um, um, a moment lorena to something you said uh, earlier too which I think is a really important um, piece of this whole puzzle sure. um, you were talking about you know when you um, qualified as a as a physician and you know <laughs> um, gi- giving your patients advice and look I was the same as a psychologist Vanessa, I'm, I'm sure you were as a psychiatrist as well. You know, we, we, we exit our universities with all this amazing knowledge. Um, and, you know, we, we want to we change the world and cha- change the lives of people, which is really one of the, I think that's yeah. one of the values that drives lots of medical and health practitioners. We want to make a difference. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, and seeing people make improvements and and experience beneficial change in their lives is one of the things that really gives our own lives as health practitioners meaning uh, and it's one of the things yeah. that brings us joy uh, so that that's that's part of the reason at least why we uh why we do it but mm. we all and look it doesn't i've spoken to lots of health practitioners of all types over many many years and almost to a person uh people who are uh mid-career like all of us are Um, Tend Mm -hmm. tend to articulate the same thing, which is, oh, I get so tired of saying the same things over and over uh, to my (laughs) my patients and they they nod as if they understand and then they come back and they haven't done anything different. And, and And of course once once we appreciate the um, the role that health coaching plays, it makes sense why people wouldn't come back and have done anything different because they they haven't really uncovered uh, within themselves any significant yes. reason to to start that behaviour change and indeed to sustain it. so the consequence of that is that when we as health practitioners choose to work differently by engaging people yeah. in these conversations. We end up having a different experience of our own work too. Um, we have a more energising, engaged experience. We get more pleasure and joy because we're starting to see those things that drove us to want to do this in the to, to want to do this in the in the first place.
0: Yes, now I have to completely agree because when I was a university student, we did actually go through uh, sec- uh, lessons on interviewing. Uh, different skills of closed ended questioning, different types of mm-hmm. questioning and also appreciative inquiry, motivational interviewing, using positive psychology. So we learned all those skills from a theoretical perspective and we did some role playing, but then often that gets just shelved or tucked away. And then the problem solving part dominates mm. the career. Mm. So I found that I actually had to go back and, and actually rethink the whole process because I realized that I, I not only need to be a problem solver, but I also needed to coach people. So then I had to go back and think about how, do, how would I want to be coached or how do I coach this type of person? And so I think, it, it's really a part of managing chronic disease because this is something that we're, we're not doing very well. Like we have the prescription pad, mm. but I remember that from medical school that the first thing that we want to do is lifestyle modification. That was mm-hmm. always the first mm-hmm. line. <laughs> so I don't know how it became a prescription pad now, but this is also the reason why lifestyle medicine, the society was interesting to me because it incorporated a lot of, aspects and show, shone, shines a light to an area that as health practitioners we often don't have the time to do because and it's lip service and it's actually actually we, we don't really have a standard way of approaching it so I think it would be nice now that we're starting to value the standard approach and try to formulate something that is standardized and recognized so that other health practitioners can say hey i know this person needs lifestyle change Mm. but who do i go to or how do i acquire those skills do i have the time to and how long does it take so i think it kind of brings us up to the next point as to what are the pathways and you've mentioned a few things there so what can you Mm. tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience and also experiences perhaps of other people
1: absolutely so the so um one of the one of the i guess because because health coaching as a discrete discipline is relatively mm-hmm. young it's it's not a discipline that's currently regulated uh, for example in the ways mm-hmm. that uh, that uh, the the disciplines that the three of us work in are mm-hmm. um, so we 're regulated by by uh, health agencies federal health agencies. Yeah. Um, health coaching is not currently regulated in that way and 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 mm-hmm. some people um, some people immediately decry that and and say that that 's not a good thing. I take a slightly different mm-hmm. view um, it, 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 it 's true that it 's not regulated, but there are certification pathways um, and certification certification pathways through reputable bodies. And, and the, the one that comes to mind immediately for me is the National Board for Health and Wellness Coaching, um, established in the US but, but relevant uh, worldwide. It establishes a, a really very, very good standard for the practice of health coaching. So although the industry is unregulated, what we can do collectively as practitioners practitioners um, uh, is to both encourage our patients and clients to seek out people who uh, have that level of certification and also if we 're choosing to engage those people in our own workplaces to to look for people who have that have that particular certification as well and even, even in doing that we we maintain a very high standard of people who have been through Uh, approved or accredited uh, health and wellness training programs uh, have sat an examination uh, uh, following that uh, and have have really demonstrated their capacity to uh, to perform these skills to a a high level so that's i i I think that's a um yeah look I, i i i i ultimately would like to see the industry uh regulated mm-hmm. in the same way that, that all health practitioners are. But in the meantime, yeah. I think the certification process that we have is very, very good, and um, we can we can make good use of it uh, as, uh, as health practitioners.
2: Yeah, all, all sorts of certifications have to start somewhere. So if it just means coming up with a set of standards or someone vetting these training programs, then also the consumers mm-hmm can have some confidence when they approach someone and say, hey, could you help me? Um, what sort of trainings have you gone through? And you can look up the curriculum and at least you mm-hmm. you know that there is some kind of standardization or quality control over what you're going to get.
1: Mm. That, that's exactly yeah. right. And look, it's been, it's been in my lifetime that psychologists have been regulated. Um, there was a time when you know pe- people could call themselves psychologists, but there was there was no certification, no regulation around that.
2: Guess what? Um, That's so... what's happening in Hong Kong.
1: Ah, there you go. We're,
2: we're in yeah. the process of trying to regulate psychologists because right now anybody could call themselves a psychologist. It's not a a, um, a standard like a, a special yeah. term that you, you need. So it's a little bit strange because if you think like, oh, anybody can call themselves a doctor and perform surgery, that that, that sounds (laughs) quite ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. And and you're really messing with people's minds, you know. You're giving them health advice and you could do harm if you're not, you know, sure what what you're doing or you're Mm. overconfident and and you go too far without knowing the limits. So Mm.
3: Mm.
1: I think you're, Vanessa, I think you're
2: doctors weren't regulated they were just butchers and hairdressers and that, that, that's, <laughs> that's that's, kind that's of how true it, yeah, that's yeah. how things evolve so yeah. I, i'm also hopeful to see you know people moving towards this and as long as we get more and more people involved in this concept of healthcare um, versus sick care uh, i think what will drive change is the collective demand
1: Mm. Mm. Vanessa, I think your point about consumer confidence is really important too, because it—I um, th- mean—that this is really the whole reason why we—we we regulate and certify, um, because we, we want uh, consumers of whatever it is, whether it's healthcare or or medical care or or plumbing or electrical services or whatever, to be confident that the person performing that service uh, has adequately trained and qualified. And that, for me, that—that that ticks one of the really Significant parts of the quadruple aim of healthcare, which is the patient experience, um, we, we really, we really want to, we really want to, I certainly really want to uh, uh, empower and hand over control of healthcare to my clients as much as I possibly can. I want them to feel like um, they're making the choices that matter to them about their own health and well-being. Not, not that I'm telling them what they should or shouldn't be doing to. Uh, you know, supposedly live a long and healthy life.
0: So this is an interesting point that you bring up, um, and I want to go back again to the certification after. Mm. But now that we're on this point, because so right now, you you mentioned that there are different types of uh, allied health and healthcare practitioners. Because so you could be a physiotherapist, and you can give be giving quite specific advice. Mm-hmm on the actual exercises that they need to do and write a program for them. But at the same time, you don't want them to be dependent on you all the time to to make those changes. Mm. So then part of that coaching aspect, it's almost like you're wearing two hats. So one as the area of expertise or training that you have. And then the second is the part where you're coaching the person to take responsibility for the advice that they've been given. So I think like it almost sounds like they have to go hand in hand. It's almost, you, you really, it's very difficult to make changes in people's behaviours mm. and patterns without actually having that component in, in their practice. Mm.
3: Mm. Um,
0: so I, I almost find it difficult to separate the two now. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not sure where, when I'm wearing the problem-solving hat and then when I'm wearing the coaching Yeah. Hat. I don't know if you experience that sometimes.
1: Yeah, look, I, I think I think that's a great, a great uh, point. Uh, Lorena, and it speaks to that that difference between the um, what I would call the expert approach and yeah. the the coach approach, and and we we absolutely need content area expertise. There's no question of that. Um, we you know we need we need physicians who are skilled in in general medicine or their their particular area of specialty. We need physiotherapists who who understand you know the the um, function and range of movement and muscles and bones and so on. Yeah. Uh, and we also we also need people who are able to bring that expertise to their patients and clients in a way that engages that person in desiring to make a change. So, yeah. the you know a, a physiotherapist who um, who asks someone. Uh, for example, and I'm I'm going to be extreme here to illustrate the point, uh, and I'm not a physiotherapist, so um, so I'm I'm making this up. Um, but, but if a, a physiotherapist said to a, a particular patient, do you, do you currently have trouble uh, walking? Um, do you currently have trouble kneeling? Uh, you know, do you currently have trouble um, standing up when you've been on the ground?" Okay. So it sounds like what you probably have is a damaged um, medial head to uh, such and such a bone in your kneecap. And the best treatment for that is to do this, this and this exercise. Um, now, yeah. imagine the patient experience of hearing that. Um, you would you would you would I mean, if you if, if you're brought up, well, you would probably nod politely. Um, Because that, because that's what you do. Um, But but it's not it's not expert information that's presented in a way that's really readily usable by the person. If, on the other hand, um, that person were to say to their patient, um, "Help help me understand what your experience is at the moment in relation to your knees," and the person might say, "Well, I have trouble." I have trouble standing up or, uh, you know, my knees hurt after I've been walking. And I would then to ask, hmm, and tell me some more about the context in which this might happen. For example, is it, is it up and down stairs? Is it on the flat? Is it mm. over uneven terrain? Aha, uh-huh. how long has it been going on for? Okay, so we're, we're starting to understand a little bit more about that, but then I'm going to want to say, what is it that you would like to be able to do that you can't currently do? And that person's going to mm. say, "Well, you know my my grandchildren are uh two and three years old. I would love to be able to get up and down from the floor and and play with them uh-huh. mm. and what, what would what would that, What would that mean if you were able to to do that oh, I, I mean I'd have a fantastic you know I'd, I'd just love the the time I spend with my grandchildren and mm. and then we can start having a conversation about um what what are the things that will support you to to do that." Um, you yeah. know, and so on. And th- th- some of the answers to that may be surgical. Some of them may yeah. be pharmaceutical or pharmacological. Um, but yeah. some of them are likely also to be um, modifiable lifestyle behaviours, uh, which the person yeah. can go away and start engaging in. Um, so, so the so so we use our expertise uh, as trained healthcare professionals. In, in what we call in well coaches a just in time manner, so we we, we, we we use that expertise to inform our inquiries um, we use it to inform our questions uh, we use it to inform the the things that we may open up for exploration with the client but we also mm-hmm. hold on to that expert knowledge until such time as it's going to be really really useful in that conversation. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow, that makes a huge difference. Just even the tone of that whole consultation is—is is, it comes out you come out of it completely different from the patient's perspective, as opposed to it being just the practitioner-centered approach. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, Ooh, and yeah. and and by yeah. extension, it ends up being um, so. So it's a patient-centered uh, approach, absolutely, but but it ends up being a practitioner. Um, a, a practitioner fulfilling approach to, if you like. So yes. so, to, so and it's kind <laughs> it's kind of counterintuitive, you know, that the more, the more that we let go of some of that need to be an expert, and the more we engage our patients and clients in those discussions around what's going to have meaning for them with respect to managing their own health, the more that's rewarding for us as practitioners. And that being being able to being able to sort of um take that uh take that leap from what we have known and have done for so long into doing something Mm. that seems a little bit counterintuitive um, is Mm -hmm. one of the best, best and most, uh, most rewarding steps, I think, that a health practitioner can take.
2: So in Mm. in terms of incorporating this into the current paradigm of healthcare, what sort of pushbacks or difficulties have you or challenges you've come across and and then share some of your experience?
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, one, I, I think, certain, certainly from, uh, and this, is, I'm, I'm speaking of an Australian experience here, and indeed a, a New Zealand experience, uh, which I have mm. some knowledge of. But I think certainly our um, our healthcare systems mean that um, general practice medicine uh, is structured and. Uh, build in a particular way that requires GPs, particularly, to do particular things in a particular way in a particular time frame, uh, and so so part of part of the um, part of the challenge is to. Uh, uh, manage those manage those time limitations and time restrictions so so GPS will often say well yeah. i don't i don't have thirty minutes to engage someone in a, a conversation about uh, about what 's meaningful to them and and uh, that 's probably true if gps were to do that then uh, then they would really drastically limit the number of patients they could see in a day so to mm-hmm. to some extent it it um, initially I think it requires us to um, to think. Uh, much more collaboratively about how we deliver health care to people to um, to work with, for example, practice nurses uh, who, mm-hmm. who may have uh, a more flexible time to work with allied health professionals who are likely similar, uh, to uh, together build a context for those uh, patients and clients in which they can see the possibility of... Sustained behaviour change. So, so part of the mm-hmm. part of the challenge at the moment is is to work within that existing uh, healthcare system. I think, and this this is one of my uh, this this is this is uh, one of my own big, hairy, audacious goals. Um, I w- I would love to see, really, a reform of the way healthcare is delivered. So to, 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 to move away structurally from the way that we have been doing it for, you know, 40, 50 odd years uh, mm. into a, a model that uh, encourages people to engage in those ways. And, and one, of the, one of the small steps that I think we're already taking in that direction, certainly in Australia, uh, in the US, in the UK, is shared medical appointments. I think mm. that's, that's starting to move a, a, a little way in that direction. So I think there's, I think there's two things that have to go on uh, in the medium to long term. One is we need to, mm. as health practitioners, we need to think creatively and collaboratively about how we, how we uh, provide healthcare. Uh, and the second part of it is that we, we need to want to reform and restructure the healthcare system uh, and, and be prepared to advocate for that.
0: And it's interesting you actually bring up the shared uh, health appointment because I did do a trial here actually with uh, another colleague of mine who was uh, who who is a psychologist here, mm-hmm. and we did one on stress management. Ah. Uh, it was actually so saying saying the so your your audacious uh, <laughs> goal to reform. I was uh, here in Hong Kong trying to be audacious yeah. as well. <laughs> And gathering people so that they could understand more about the physiology of stress Mm -hmm. and what that means and how the body reacts to it. And I actually have to say that we had about six participants and I have to say that at the end of it, that was the most professionally fulfilling Mm -hmm. appointments that I've ever experienced Mm -hmm. because the dynamic of having other people there with a shared experience, with a shared interest and who was also sharing with other uh, patients their own experience and their own learning from it. It actually normalized a lot of the things that people Mm. are fearful of or concerned Mm. with. So, and I I also understand that because there are the same conditions and people are coming in, I think it was, we we ran it over an hour and a half. It was actually six people in an hour and a half s time. So it became much more efficient so imagine, I, I could imagine myself saying the same things to six people, mm. but that would be more than an hour and mm. a half. Mm. So I do completely understand what this is about, and I'm very much an advocate of it. So I'm also very much wanting to be audacious and change the way <laughs> we deal with health care. <laughs> By utilising this more and more, so we might need to have another conversation about this.
1: Yeah, th- and this down, is this is I, I... this is what we're going to need, Lorena. We we're going to need, I think, um, health practitioners who who are bold enough to imagine that healthcare could look different from the way that it does. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: And so I think the coaching aspect is very important in in here as well. So mm. if say I say say I was a a nutritionist or a physio or a doctor and I wanted to get a taste of what is this coaching uh certification mm-hmm. like. How how would I go about doing it? Is it a long course? Do I, mm. how do I sign up? And what sort so, of people are are suitable? You know,
2: uh, what sort of background do they normally come from? Oh
1: yeah, great question, great question. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, actually, let me let me start with the background question first. So, um, and I'll speak uh, I'll speak about well coaches, uh, but also acknowledge that there's um, there are a number of uh, pathways to. Uh, to mm. become certified as a as a health and wellness coach and if people are interested they can um, they can uh, visit the national board for health and wellness coaching website which is nbhwc.org uh, and they'll be able to find a list there of um, of accredited um, accredited pathways so um, in terms of background uh, the, the 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 general requirement for that the well coaches sets to become a health and wellness coach is to have some sort of medical or allied health background. The reason that's there is because that's ultimately a requirement of the NBHWC. So what we're doing is, is preparing people to be able to move through that entire training pathway and become certified by the NBHWC. So we, we deal with that early on by saying, uh, if, if that's where you're headed, this is the background that you need you need a medical or allied health background, having said that mm-hmm. if if people um, if people aren 't intent on pursuing NBHWC certification they can still derive all the benefits of uh, learning health and wellness coaching skills uh, with with really um, any professional background whatsoever uh, so i've had i've had engineers in courses um, uh, I've seen I've seen actors in courses, uh, oh, and the really? yeah and the particular act, oh. the particular actor I'm thinking of um, I actually met in uh, in LA and uh, he was obviously there I mean he was American he he was in LA because he wanted to uh, uh, you know uh, I guess make a name for himself in, in acting but as part of his work he ran an acting school for children. And he formed the view that if he studied some coaching skills, he would be much more effective in cultivating in his participants a uh, you know a desire to uh, engage and 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 perform at their very best, and and I think he was absolutely spot on. Uh, I, I think I think coaching skills are exactly the sort of skills that will support someone to do that. So, so people can come come with all sorts of backgrounds to study uh, health and wellness coaching. If you want to move on to NVHWC certification, then having that medical or allied health background is is very very important. So in terms of in terms of the structure of courses. Um, the Well Coaches course, for example, is built around uh, core coaching skills, which is a, either a four-day intensive module, or it can be delivered in other ways, uh, an 18-week program, um, a nine-week program, which we're currently doing here in Australia um so that that's that's that really sets the uh sets the baseline for people and and covers all the material they need to be able to um to understand uh what's involved in in health coaching and and to begin developing those skills module two uh is a shorter module that's about 10 hours face-to-face plus some other study time module three is uh, the certification module, uh, which you know, is would probably take someone maybe six to eight weeks to. Work through all the material, not in a full-time way, of course, but just a, in a, at a comfortable sort of pace. Um, module three is a is a terrific module because in the in the Well Coaches program, that's the module when you uh, you take a written examination. You also get to spend some time with a mentor coach practicing your skills, uh, and then you ultimately take an oral examination to demonstrate your coaching skills. Uh, and so, by the by the conclusion of module three. Uh, we're ready to um, give people a, an internal well coaches certification as a health and wellness coach module four is the lifestyle medicine module so that's a that's a that's a mm-hmm. content module rather than a skills practice module uh, and uh, that's that's uh, about 20 a bit over 20 hours uh, of self-directed study and really covers all the um, all the critical information that people need to understand uh, the basis of lifestyle medicine. And that particular course was developed uh, in cooperation with the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. So someone could move, um, someone could move from uh, no coaching skills through to being, um, being certified uh, by well coaches quite comfortably within, I'm gonna say, you know, six to seven months. You could, you could work full-time and, and do this study at the mm-hmm. same time and, and comfortably, comfortably do it in, in, say, six to seven months. Then if you want to do NBHWC certification, um, there's a, a separate process that you go through of, of applying to them, uh, demonst- mm-hmm. demonstrating a, a log of accumulated uh, uh, practice hours uh, and then taking a written examination with NBHWC as well.
2: Mm. So that's yeah. good good information for people who are thinking about it, but not sure where to find information or they'd find too much information and they don't know what the career path looks like mm.
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely absolutely we, we were talking about uh you know the the difference between problem solving and and uh coaching conversations and and i wanted mm. I wanted to share with you an analogy that i I often use. Uh, to illustrate this difference, uh, and to, and in particular to illustrate that problem solving has its place, but it's not the only set of skills that we need to use. So, so what I often say to people is, if if I'm flying on a seven hundred and forty-seven, uh, you know, across the Pacific Ocean, and it's the middle of the night, and all four engines on the aeroplane fail, I don't want the pilots up the front to have a conversation with each other about their values and their visions and their dreams for the future Mm -hmm. and how they see themselves being, I want them to very quickly problem-solve what's going on, fix it, Mm -hmm. so that we can continue quite safely on our way. So problem-solving is a really, really important set of skills to have. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if I'm at home and I'm planning to take a trip, and I go to the travel agent, I don't want that travel agent to say to me, well, how long since you've had a holiday? Do you think you should? You probably should have a holiday. Here's some some places that other people go to uh, that they enjoy. Um, What I want you to do is pick one of those places and pay your money, and then we'll send you there. Um, I want the travel agent to say to me, well... What really matters to you you know what what are the things that you really value what are the things that you like doing um, what are the things that 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 fulfill you and give you energy um, what what's going to be satisfying to you a year from now if you look back on it and say I did that that's the sort of conversation I want to have with my travel agent um, uh, and in the, in the process of doing that I'm going to identify um, the places I would like to go, the things that I would like to do, um, what that will mean to me, how much money I would like to spend and so on. And at the conclusion of all of that, I'll have done something that's deeply satisfying and fulfilling to me, uh, will have ticked all the boxes that that mattered to me, uh, but without any sort of problem focused or, or problem solving conversation whatsoever. So when we when we talk about um, talk about health coaching, we're really talking about bringing in uh, another framework that allows us to to work effectively um, to work effectively with our patients. If someone walks into your GP surgery um, with a with a cracking headache and their their you know their vision's impaired and and they've got ringing in their ears, time for a problem solving conversation. Um, if someone walks into the GP surgery. Uh, and you know they're overweight, or uh, you know they've got sore joints, or they've just had a blood test and their cholesterol's high. Um, mm. Time for a different conversation. Time for a different set of skills. Yes,
0: and I think this is really where um, medicine has been very good at. It's in the problem-solving area. But I also like, and I think this is where we distinguish what lifestyle medicine also is. Because that is all about the things that we talked about, mm-hmm. the diet, mm. the movement, stress management. And so I think if we identify people with these lifestyle-related conditions, and we can very specifically say, okay, this is the kind of management that's required because it's not just one particular part of your life. It may involve multiple areas um, that will be impacted by this change. Mm-hmm. So, so identifying those lifestyle-related conditions, then we can very successfully say, okay, well, this is what the journey is, um, and this is, these are the people that will be there, Like pretty much like helping to guide them on that process of, of how they're going to do it. So hmm. I, I think that for practices who are thinking about managing these chronic conditions related to it, I think it, it's important to look at the whole system in a different way because it may actually also involve um, not just health coaches, but maybe even having to liaise with that person's physiotherapist and that person's primary care physician or, or that person's specialist. Mm-hmm. So it could actually incorporate a, a, a need or uh, an ability to also communicate with the other types of people in the practice. Would, the, would you say, yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
3: something
0: like mm-hmm. that?
1: Mm. And, and ideally, all those other people will have uh, training in health coaching so that there's a common language there so that when a, when a, when yes. a patient walks into that practice, um, they're engaged in the same type of language by all the health mm-hmm. practitioners involved um, and, that's,
0: and so yeah. have you ever had an experience in doing this for like a practice or different practices or?
1: Hmm. So I've, I've, uh, I've done some work with a, a GP colleague of mine out here who has operated a, a, a an SMA or shared medical appointment model, uh, focused uh, specifically on diabetes and, and diabetes management, uh, so, so, my role in that has been to uh, to run some sessions for the participants uh, in that group, mm. focused on exactly the sorts of things that we've been talking about the the connecting connecting with what matters to me, um, connecting with the the visions that I have for myself in the future, uh, understanding what my own needs are right now, what are the things that I would love to be able to do that that I can't currently do. Um, Yeah, and supporting supporting people to develop those ideas for themselves so that they then have a very powerful set of internal or intrinsic motivating forces that will support them to sustain long-term behavioural change.
2: So... Let me ask the final million dollar question. How do, <laughs> how do we make this work financially? Because there's money involved when things need to work, right? Someone mm-hmm. has to pay for the service, someone has to pay for the providers, someone has to train the health coaching, or they have to find the money to do all these courses. Mm-hmm. And so for some people, it may be quite a large uh, upfront kind of capital investment and if you're just doing it to study because you're interested that's one way of looking at it but ultimately it's an investment in a career and you want mm. to be able to make it back mm. so how does this all work yeah
1: absolutely absolutely so i think um, so that's a that's a, yeah when you said million dollar question that's um Literally. that's just about the most <laughs> most complex question you could ask so um so I'm going to say there's there's a couple of different ways we need to think about this. One one way, of course, is the um, the medical reimbursement that might come from uh, providing services to patients. So so all health practitioners, regardless of whether they're uh, GPs, psychologists, physiotherapists, and so on, uh, need to be able to satisfy themselves um, that that the investment they will make in training is going to over time be amortised. Uh, you know, through the process of, uh, of seeing patients, I, I personally have no doubt whatsoever that that, that would be the case because um, I know from my own experience uh, that uh, that patients and clients love working with practitioners who work in this way. Um, they, they seek them out. Um, they, they love knowing that that there's a, a, a different way of working. Uh, than they've been uh, they've been previously used to. I, I personally, you know, it, it, uh, as a psychologist, um, I personally uh, have people contacting me uh, who are referred by other people saying, "I want to come and see you um, because you've been been referred to me." So I've, I I personally don't have any doubt that uh, that the that the investment uh, will uh, you know will will come back to the come back to the person uh, over time. Um, the, the other side of it is the, uh, the extent to which, um, healthcare may be reimbursed by government, uh, and, and the length of time that someone might have to spend in a, in a consult, uh, and so on to, to make that happen. And this is, this is where I'm going to say that, that I think, um, uh, thinking creatively and collaboratively about how you set up. A medical practice, or how you set up a healthcare practice, is really valuable mm. here. So, um, it it may not be feasible uh, in the short term, or even in the medium term, for a GP to engage in uh, health coaching conversations with clients. However, it would be extraordinarily beneficial for a client. If there were a practice nurse, for example, or a psychologist or a dietitian or some other member of that medical practice who can engage with them in those sorts of discussions and also have their GP use the same language um, and, and yeah. hear that reinforced across their across their health care. And that that's where I think the really um, the really powerful value of Thinking about health coaching uh, comes into play when we can, when we when we uh, expand our, our vision and think, what what would it look like if all the all the practitioners, for example, uh, had a common language that involved things like, um, you know, uh, how how does this how does this uh, sit with your values, or what's been your best experience of this, or what have you learnt about yourself. Uh, or what have you learned about your condition over the past, uh, you know, week or fortnight or month? Um, those those sorts of conversations, um, I think, are going to have enormous value for um, for clients and uh, and patients.
0: So I think what you say is very valuable because that's basically creating a community. It's a community of people who are speaking the same language, who who are there. regardless of the value, but they understand that the values are important for that behavioural change. And I think it really involves all the practices, uh, everyone in the practice, not just the primary care physician, but even from people who are nurses or receptionists and Mm. coaches, nutritionists, anyone that's involved in that practice, um, even even management, Mm. I would say, because I think it's key to understand why uh, this particular Practice is different to every every other one, um, and I feel that uh, it's important to understand that there is a monetary value that's important, but also that there is a, a, a value to the service. Mm. And if we're trying to change and really reform healthcare, then we really need to start to understand every this aspect um, together.
1: Mm. And it's not as it's not as big a step as I think. Uh, sometimes we, we convince ourselves that it is because we, we already, yeah. in medical practice and healthcare, we already speak a common language, um, yeah. but it tends to be the common language of problems. Um, it tends, yes. tends to be the common language of prescriptions, of do this yeah. uh, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what we really want to aim for is that is uh, uh, still having a common language, but learning a different common language that engages people uh, to think differently about about themselves uh, and their lives.
2: Yeah, I think it's ultimately trying to help people move from what used to work in the old set of days when infections killed people and people yeah. died of you know, really basic things, whereas mm. now we've got more complicated and more chronic diseases that needs a different skill set and a different framework to, to handle it. So we mm. just need to kind of move on with our times rather than still using the old model to treat something new.
1: That, that, that's exactly right. And we don't, I mean, it, it really doesn't matter what part of the uh, developed world you go to, you know, we, we see rates of chronic disease that are roughly similar um, rates of obesity, rates of cardiovascular disease, of hyperlipidemia, hypercholesterolemia, and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, They're they're very, very high and frighteningly growing.
2: Yeah. So we need to put uh, 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 some changes to make this trend start to move. It's it's a bit like moving the Titanic. You can't just do it overnight, but you need to start making (laughs) small directional changes. So that mm. ultimately you get to the place you want to be.
1: Hmm. Mm. Exactly right. Exactly right. And and recognizing that that uh, that all big journeys start with small steps.
0: Yeah. Yes, that's true. <laughs> so thank you so much um, for the time today. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you it's for having insightful. me. Very insightful. <laughs> Very insightful. So, we'll definitely um, have you back on again for another topic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> for the shared health appointments. And, um, and but this time, if you have any questions or if the audience has any questions, mm. please feel free to contact us. And we will also put uh, information about how to, uh, information on Well Coaches Australia uh, and Simon's.
2: So, that's the uh, best project.
0: place to find you, Simon, at Well Coaches.
1: Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, coaches Australia. I'll, I'll give Lorena my details and um, and happy for you to uh, to put them up in your show notes so people can uh, reach out to me directly if they'd like to. Great. Thank yeah. you so much. Ruth. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank yes, you very much.
0: Appreciate
2: Bye. it. Thank you. Have a good day.
1: Thank you. Bye now. Bye.
2: Bye. You can find us at anantawellbeing.com and follow us at Ananta Wellbeing on Facebook and Instagram. If you like our podcast, please give us a five-star review to help other like-minded people find us.
0: This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed in this podcast are not medical advice and is not intended to treat or diagnose any medical condition. This podcast and its producers disclaim any responsibility for adverse effects that result from the use of this information. Opinions of guests are their own and are not endorsed by this podcast. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions. We do not make any representation or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Both producers and guests may have direct or indirect interest in the products and services mentioned. If you think you have a medical condition, please consult a licensed physician.